Welcome to Faith Westwood's online service. If you happen to be viewing us on Facebook, we encourage you to interact in the comment section. Let us know you're here, share any celebrations that you may have right now. If this is your first time with us, we would like to pray a special blessing that you will feel God's presence and love today. Today during our service, we will have music and interview from Pastor Juan Carlos. We will celebrate what happened with Vacation Bible School this week. And Pastor Steve will continue the message on objections and obstacles of the Christian faith. Now we encourage you to prepare your heart and your mind and your soul for worship.
everybody, Miss Leah here. We had a great week at our derailed BBS drive-through and food pantry donation event. It was so fun to see all of your smiling faces. We had 150 cars drive-through. We had games, we had prizes. We even had a donut eating contest between Pete and Repeat and Pastor Steve and Trish. And that's because we knocked our goal of 1,500 items donated to the Faithworks Pantry out of the park. We collected over 2,000 items for the FaithWorks Pantry. And you can see those behind me. That's so awesome and amazing. And I wanna thank you, thank you, thank you so much for bringing in those donations and helping out the FaithWorks Pantry this week. I wanna show you a video that shows you a little bit more about what went on this week. Enjoy. Trust in you, Jesus, you're all, you're all, you're all that we need. Your power will pull us through. We're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. You give us hope and life that's forever. You make us bold and we stand together. Your power will pull us through. We're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. Journey, there's no looking back with Jesus to lead us. We're on the right track. Oh, 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 oh. wide open spaces for wide open eyes. We're looking ahead for the next big surprise. Oh, 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 oh. we trust, we trust, we trust in you. Together. 
Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 31. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thank you, God, for the reading of this word. Before I get into the message, I want to come back to something that I talked about a couple weeks ago. I want to call you to intentionally make pandemic time uh, a time of spiritual growth. And so I want to encourage you to do one thing to become a more deep, daring, daily disciple. Pandemic time could be your opportunity to become a more daring, a more daily disciple by establishing a time of scripture and prayer into your routine. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I recommended the Lectio 365 app, which gives you a 10 to 12 minute audio every day. And uh, it's a nice, good recording. But let me tell you, there are lots of resources out there that you could use. Uh, pandemic time might be your opportunity to become a deeper disciple by reading a Christian book or watching a Christian video. And if you go to our Faith at Home page on our website, you'll, you'll find a nice uh, list of recommendations. Pandemic time could be your opportunity to become a more daring disciple by being a blessed friend to someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, or you could take a stand for justice in our community. So I want to ask you now, what will you do? What will you do during pandemic time to become a more deep, daring, daily disciple? And so I just want to say that even during the message here today, if, if uh, someone, you know, if some idea comes to you, just grab a pen and jot it down or tell it to someone who's with you or even text it to a friend. And I hope that you'll commit today to take one step just one step to become a more deep, daring, daily disciple. Okay, let's move on. 
I remember my class in contemporary theology, uh, Nebraska Wesleyan. And uh, one day in our conversation, a young woman said how, in her view, Christianity is what's effed up the world. That was back in the 70s. The 70s were a decade of spiritual conflict and challenge, in some ways a lot like today, except that I think then more people were receptive to Jesus. Because back then we did have the Jesus movement. Uh, during my freshman year in college, there were, there were two guys living at the frat house who openly aligned with Jesus. And one of them was brand new to it. Three years later, when I was a senior, I remembered one afternoon standing in the hallway of the house, and I just kind of mentally went through it about who lived in each room, and I counted up 12 guys who were very open about belonging to Jesus, about a third of the house. So in three years, it had gone from two to 12. And a lot of the time, I'm not really sure how it happened. We know that receptivity in a culture comes and goes. In, in much of the world today, the movement of Jesus is spreading like a virus. Many African countries and in South America, even in China, many people are coming to faith in Jesus. Unfortunately, I think here in the U.S., we've been seeing receptivity taper off. Why? Why is that? Well, part of it could be, uh, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the evil one has blinded the minds of unbelievers, blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. Of course, there can be other reasons as well. Some of that tapering off of receptivity may have something to do with us. They look and see churches that are heavy into politics. And some churches are more about serving themselves and not serving the community. And some churches apply a lot of pressure about giving money. And then, of course, there are Christians who, who appear so self-righteous and judgmental. And, um, you know, you look at all those things, and it's no wonder that some people may not be interested. Today's message is uh, part two of a series on objections and obstacles. Objections and obstacles. My goal is to address some tough questions about faith. And even if what we talk about today doesn't represent your objections, they probably are for someone you know. And I want to prepare you. I want you to help you to be so you're prepared to have healthy conversations with them. Today's question is this. How could I believe in such a lame faith? And, and there are a lot of reasons people have for calling Christianity a lame faith. And I'll, I'll deal with a few of them. In our scripture reading from the Apostle Paul's first letter, to Jesus' people in Corinth, we find this in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. In the first century, uh, many Jews and Gentiles saw Christianity as a lame faith. Jews wanted a Messiah like Moses who would dish out ten plagues on the enemy and deliver them from the Romans. Instead, they get Jesus who's killed by the Romans. I mean, who'd want to believe in him? The idea of a crucified Messiah, that's preposterous. And when Paul says the crucified Messiah is a stumbling block to the Jews, the word stumbling block also means that they're offended by the idea. They, they, they find it offensive. They're, they're angry about it. 
The Greeks, on the other hand, were enamored with human wisdom and philosophy and great ideas. And, and for the Greeks, uh, a big part of wisdom was the art of persuasive speech. It was about having impressive eloquence, superb skills at oratory. But you know, that's not what the gospel is about. At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul reminds these Greek Jesus followers, he says, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's why for many Jews and Greeks, the message of Jesus seemed lame. It was either hated or laughed at. Now, some of them may change their minds if they see Jesus' people, uh, see them exhibiting love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and humility, serving others. They may become curious and more receptive. One of the objections I hear a lot sounds like this. Well, whatever you believe is fine, but I have no use for organized religion. No use for organized religion. And you know, I can understand that. When you look at the history of the church, we've messed up a lot. And the number one historical reason people believe Christianity is lame is what? The Crusades. You know, I find it strange that so many Christian high schools have adopted the Crusaders as their team mascot. I mean, the Crusades is not an image we want to glorify. Medieval soldiers bearing swords and shields in the name of Jesus, traveling from Europe to the Middle East, singing, Onward Christian soldiers marching off to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Some have assumed that, that knights from Europe went to the Holy Land to pillage and loot and force peaceful Muslims to become Christians. But that's not what happened. By then, there had been 450 years of conflict between Muslims and Christians, with Christians usually on the losing end. By the 11th century, Muslims were destroying sites in the Middle East considered holy by Christians and threatening to destroy more of them. And Muslims uh, in other places were attacking and murdering Christians who were on their way to the Holy Land. And uh, some of you have heard me uh, quote Rodney Stark before, professor at Baylor University. He and other respected historians have given some greater clarity about the Crusades. He says the Crusaders were not motivated by money. In fact, the noble families in Europe financed and fought the campaign at great cost to themselves. Their motivation was spiritual, maybe misled, but it was spiritual. Crusading was considered an act of penance. And the Pope promised soldiers that by going on the Crusades, all their sins would be washed away. I expect that no Pope would say that today. So I'm not saying that the Crusades were a just cause. I'm just saying that there were abuses on both sides, a long history of conflict that it had been going on. Uh, still, the Crusaders did not, you couldn't say that they represented Jesus very well. Anyway, here's the main, my main point today, and history, I believe, has shown it to be true. The Church of Jesus Christ has shown remarkable capacity for both corruption and correction. 
And when I say church, I mean capital C church. All believers everywhere, all over the world, the church of Jesus Christ has shown remarkable capacity for both corruption and correction. Here's another sl- an example, slavery. Um, back in the er- uh, days, early days of uh, colonization of, of the North America, uh, white Christians in the southern U.S. Uh, colonies enslaved black people from, Amer- from Africa and their descendants, and then it continued on when, when the U.S. became a nation. Uh, and, and these Christians even quoted the Bible doing it. But abolitionists were all, was also a Christian movement, and they carried the day. So there was corruption and correction. Following the Civil War, um, Jim Crow laws kept southern states racially segregated and kept black Americans disenfranchised. And those laws were enforced until 1965. Many white Christians supported Jim Crow laws. But the most influential leader in the civil rights movement was a Christian minister by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. He taught his demonstrators the way of Jesus' nonviolence and love to bring about social change. Again, the Church of Jesus Christ has shown remarkable capacity for both corruption and correction. Another topic, uh, the Bible versus science. You know, it makes me sad when Christians pit the Bible against science like they were enemies. I, I think it makes Christianity seem lame. For example, the Bible doesn't say the earth is a sphere, but it doesn't exactly say it's flat either. It does see that the earth is built in layers because this is what the perception of the writers uh, was in the world they lived in, and, and God didn't think it was important to tell them otherwise. That's because the books of the Bible were not written to teach us science. They were written to tell us who God is and who we are and what went wrong and how God's making it right. I mean, that's the story. In modern times, um, a legend sprang up that church officials in the 14th century opposed Christopher Columbus's experimental voyage because the church claimed that the earth was flat. Not true. Rodney Stark, other historians point out that all educated Europeans by then, including church officials, knew the earth was a sphere. The debate was about how big a sphere is it? And actually, Columbus was wrong. He thought the earth was smaller than it, than it was. Fortunately for him and his crew, they bumped into America on the way because they would never have made it to the East Indies. Actually, Christians have a long history of being pioneers in science. Copernicus was a mathematician and astronomer, but he also studied theology and may even have been ordained at one point. Copernicus's claim to fame is that he figured out that the sun was the center of the solar system. And when he did, you know, he was just taking the next logical step uh, from Christians, a scientist, before him. Because they'd already figured out that the earth rotated on its axis. They'd already figured out that space was a frictionless vacuum. They'd already figured out that the earth was smaller than the sun and larger than the moon. Uh, Copernicus then proposed that the planets were orbiting the sun and he did the math to back it up. 
later it was Galileo who popularized the idea of a heliocentric solar system. And because he had a knack for antagonizing the Pope, he got in trouble for it. He was put on church trial for teaching heresy and forced to recant. It was a bad scene. Galileo was sentenced to house arrest for the rest of his life. You know, one thing that makes Christianity lame is when it gets power. Whenever Christianity gets too much power in terms of politics or money, it just invites corruption. We've seen it over and over. But as I said earlier, the Church of Jesus Christ has shown remarkable capacity for corruption and correction. Historians note that modern science grew out of a Christian worldview. Have you thought of that? Modern science grew out of a Christian worldview. Why? Because Christians believed in a rational God. That's why they expected to find consistent laws governing the material world. It was created by a rational God. Why, uh, why else do you think that, that, that people see Christianity as lame? Back in April, I was sent uh, some questions, and uh, a couple of them were this. Uh, how did God send, why did God send his son to die on a cross? How cruel. Why didn't he just snap his fingers and remove our sins? Here's my reply. I sympathize with your questions. Who among us would send our child to die so cruelly? Christians have been searching for centuries to understand what happened on the cross and why. But we must not see it as our Heavenly Father punishing and killing His Son. That never appears in the Bible. John 3.16 does not say God was so angry with the world that He punished and killed His one and only Son. No. It says God loved the, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Jesus' death is God's self-sacrifice. You hear that? Jesus' death is God's self-sacrifice. And personally, I cannot make sense of the cross without that. Um, your question implies that an all-powerful God could have come up with some other solution for sin that could have avoided Jesus' death. Um, that, by the way, is an objection shared by our Muslim friends and neighbors. They see forgiveness as a simple act of God with no atoning work required. In the Bible, the word atone means becoming at one. That's kind of how the English word came to, uh, came to be. It means uh, reconciling a severed relationship. Uh, the Bible sees sin as rebellion. Sin is a mutiny that separates us from God. Atonement bridges that separation. It's a forgiveness that costs something of the forgiver. For example, if I owe you $5,000 and you forgive my debt, your act of forgiveness has cost you something, right? 5G. Here's another analogy. If, if you found out that I had spoken hurtful lies about you, it's going to damage our relationship, our friendship. But if you reach out to me and open the door to renew that friendship, your act of mercy will cost you something. It will, it will cost you the opportunity to give me the justice I deserve. It will cost you your right to stay angry with me for what I've done. How much did forgiving our rebellious sin cost God? Well, only God knew that.
And we discovered that it cost him his self-sacrifice on the cross. And the reason that we Christians now see the cross as a positive symbol is that it tells us how much God loves us. It tells us how far God will go, how much he will give of himself to forgive us and restore that relationship. Now, Jesus' death at the hands of humanity, that was cruel. But as a gift of God's sacrificial love, it was beautiful. That's why Paul says, To those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, including his death, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is just what the Jews and the Gentiles deep down are seeking. I want to end the message with a time of guided prayer. You might want to close your eyes or look out a window or gaze at the image on the screen. I'll lead us through a few short prayers and then I'll pause in between so you can make these prayers your own. Let's pray. I invite you to slow down, breathe slowly, and bring your scattered self into the presence of God. Now recall a time when it seemed to you that believing and belonging to Jesus was lame, whether it was years ago or now. What turned you off about the idea of being a Christian? If you've become receptive to Jesus since then, recall how that happened. Who and what did God use? Take a moment to name them and thank God for them. The church has a capacity for corruption and correction because each of us has that same capacity. What corruption do you find sneaking into your heart? A preoccupation with money and possessions? Harboring grudges and unforgiveness? Hanging on to racial biases and stereotypes? an obsession with sex, a need to control others. Tell the Lord about it. Now ask for his healing power to correct your course and put you on a better path. Ask him who you can talk to, who you can trust to talk to about this corruption in your heart. 
Now let's come back to the idea of taking one step during the pandemic to become a more deep, daring, daily disciple. Ask the Lord now, what would you have me do? And all God's people said, Amen. has helped prepare you for questions that you may get from your friends and family with objections of their Christian faith. Please stop by at Faith Westwood backslash service, fill out a connection card, let us know that you're here today. Also, you can submit your prayer request on that connection card. You can give to our 2020 vision 
And our mission offering this week is for Iglesia Comunitaria to help them with this new pantry that they're starting. Stay tuned to listen to some of our church families say hello. Good morning, Faith Family. Hi, Faith Family. Hi, everybody. Glad to see you. Greetings. Stay safe. Hello, everyone. We miss you. We look forward to being back together.